This is an ABC News special. COVID-19, what you need to know. From ABC News headquarters, here is correspondent Aaron Katursky. New York confirmed 11 new cases today, bringing the total in the state to 33, all of them connected to an attorney who remains hospitalized with coronavirus. And all of those cases continue the expected climb of cases of COVID-19 in this country. Indiana confirmed its first case today. President Trump scheduled a visit to the Centers for Disease Control. The city of Miami canceled a big electronic dance music festival that was expected to draw nearly 200,000 people. And we heard from a census worker in Iowa who said the virus made her concerned about going door to door for the once in a decade census. We know all of this brings up a lot of questions, and our chief health and medical editor, Dr. Jen Ashton, is here to answer them with ABC's Diane Macedo. Here's our first one. If one person has it at school, what are the chances of getting it? Okay, well, first of all, you have to ask, has that person been confirmed? And most likely here, widespread in the country, the answer is no. We know that the pediatric population has uh, almost no symptoms of this uh, to date. It's unlikely that they're not getting infected, however. It's just likely that they're not showing symptoms. So when you say a person at school, is that a staff member, an employee, a mm-hmm. teacher, so on? Because it's it hasn't been a child yet. Um, The next question is on transmission. We don't know exactly about this new strain of coronavirus, but based on other coronaviruses, other respiratory viruses, we know that they're spread via droplets and contact. So the closer the contact, the longer the contact. It's just common sense that increases the risk of getting something. That's why schools are a vulnerable location. It is one of the most jam-packed you know, pieces of real estate we have in this country. Um, so again, when people start to see sporadic school closings, maybe it's because there's a documented or confirmed case in the community, but maybe it's just one of those NPIs, non-drug interventions, that's trying to prevent not just it spreading through that school, but then those young children bringing it home to their very vulnerable grandparents. And then This one is a myth that seems to be circulating the internet. Mm -hmm. Our next question comes from a viewer asking, some say this will lessen in warmer weather. Is that true? No one knows. And I'll tell you what we have to remember here, Diane, which is really interesting. Remember when it's warm weather here, it's winter in the southern hemisphere. And since this corona strain is now global um, and spreading in many, many countries throughout the world, just because it's summer or warm weather in the northern hemisphere doesn't mean it's not cold weather or winter in the southern hemisphere. And no one has a crystal ball on this. For some scientific perspective, the MERS strain of Mm -hmm. coronaviruses spread in sub-Saharan Africa and the Arabian Peninsula, which was over 100 degrees. And we do have cases of this virus in warm weather communities right now. So we just don't know. Uh, We hear a lot about the flu shot. It is also flu season. Does getting the flu shot help in not getting the coronavirus? These are really good questions, Diane. Um, You know, I think We're keeping you busy today. I know. It's important to know, number one, flu is still a much greater risk to the average person in this country. Um, You know, while the flu cases are declining, and we're about to hear the CDC's recent numbers on flu estimates, um, your risk is still greater of getting the flu than getting this novel coronavirus. It's not too late to get the flu shot, by the way, because seasonal influenza circulates throughout the world you know, throughout the year. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is no direct protection. That's my long answer way of answering that great question. There's no direct protection conveyed by the flu vaccine against this coronavirus. Okay, so the flu shot won't help you not get coronavirus, but you should get it anyway, because it can help you with the flu. And the other thing that I want people to remember
remember, because you know I'm always interested in teaching people how to think like a doctor, mm -hmm. you can get more than one respiratory pathogen at a time. I mean, that would be very unlike, unlucky um, and maybe not that likely, but it is possible to have a bacterial infection and a viral infection. It's possible even to get two viral infections at the same time. So you're never going to hear me not say don't get a flu vaccine. It's better than nothing. Um, it's like wearing a seatbelt when you get into your car. And I love this next question. Is it better to get the coronavirus now before it gets stronger so you develop an immunity oh, to boy. it? Oh, boy. So, you know, I'm sure we're going to start to see um, on the fringe people saying, let's have a coronavirus party mm -hmm. and get it over with. Um, I really caution people. This is an unknown. We have no track record on this virus. Um, and in general, you know, just because you are naturally exposed to something doesn't mean that it will be less severe, doesn't mean you won't pass it to someone who's at very high risk for complications. And we don't know what that will do to us down the road. We're still even trying to learn about the at least two strains of this coronavirus and whether you can be infected by both strains or get reinfected while that's unlikely it's still not known so my short answer to that question is no okay and last question we can make it quick but is there any concern about us creating some superbug from all the hand sanitizer everybody's using? Not for this. I mean, we have to remember, you know, this is a global health emergency and hand washing, hand hygiene is critically important. Um, so, you know, we have to just take common steps, common sense steps that we uh, can. And hand washing is a big one. ABC's chief health and medical editor, Dr. Jennifer Ashton, there with my colleague, Diane Macedo, answering some of your questions about coronavirus. And they are questions that all of us have as the virus continues to permeate not only the news, but also in very real ways. Uh, people on uh, cruise ships say thousands of passengers are waiting for results of tests that were flown to them by helicopter while their cruise ship was parked off California. ABC's Matt Gutman is there in San Francisco, joins us now. Uh, Matt, what's the scene? We're all waiting for the ship. We're all waiting for news. And uh, right now is when those 2,422 passengers aboard the Grand Princess are supposed to get news about what happened with those 300 or so test kits that were flown off the ship at about uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. local, landed uh, here around 5.30, uh, whisked off uh, with the through ambulances with a police motorcade surrounding them that gives you an indication of how important and how seriously they are taking this to a lab. Those test kits have uh, been tested. We don't yet know the results. Obviously, a, a pretty significant amount of trepidation by those passengers aboard the ship. They are concerned about the decision made uh, by the CDC and local health officials about what will happen if coronavirus uh, was found on the ship if people tested positive. Um, is that ship going to be quarantined for a significant period of time offshore? Um, will it be brought here uh, just up the pier from me at Pier 27 offloaded and maybe just the healthy people will be taken off? Nobody knows what's going to happen. And the CDC tells me that until they actually know what the results of those tests are, they will not have made an actual decision. We understand the decision has been made. We just don't know the results just yet. Everybody is waiting. So especially for those people who are elderly aboard that ship, and there are a significant number of them, this is a time of great concern. Um, two people aboard that ship, a one person confirmed to have died having contracted the coronavirus on the previous cruise about Two weeks ago, another person possibly suspected of contracting the disease has passed away. They're investigating that particular case. But 
Nobody wants to be trapped on that ship and nobody wants to get sick right now. Certainly not. ABC's Matt Gutman with us from San Francisco, eyeing that cruise ship now parked off California. And today in Britain, they reported a first coronavirus death. So we turn to London now and ABC's James Longman. What do we know about this case, James? Yeah, so not very much. It's a a woman, uh, an elderly lady who had some underlying complications already. That is something we've heard from victims, I think, uh, around the world. It would be the second British person, but the first person to die here in the UK. Uh, And you know, it, there's another person, another elderly gentleman who has also sadly died where authorities are looking to see if he uh, also died from coronavirus. But this is, uh, in the UK, we've re- recorded the largest daily jump in cases. 163 cases now in Britain. 20,000 people have been tested. And I, this is part of a, a larger theme we're seeing now in Europe. You've got to look at this as a kind of a wave from China, and it feels in Europe like it's cresting now. A lot of countries are recording big jumps in in their kind of daily recorded cases. So Italy, again, has had a massive jump, something like over 3,000 cases there. And as this virus has westwards, other countries as well, Iran, over 1,200 new cases overnight. So uh, I think now we're sort of seeing in Europe this bigger spread. Specifically, I think elderly populations are concerned. I think countries are, are worried about making sure that those, particularly those communities, are protected. Because, you know, Italy is the second, the second sort of eldest population on Earth, Greece, Spain. Germany, large communities of uh, of elderly people. So I think that is where the concern is. In the Vatican now, we've seen the first case. A clinic there has been shut down to be sterilized. So we're just seeing this kind of these cases pop up in more and more uh, in more and more locations across Europe. So it's really extraordinary just how this virus has has, has taken hold uh, as it's travelled westwards, and how authorities are just trying to do their best to make sure it doesn't spread. And James, I know you're tracking this virus as march across the globe. There is some better news out of Asia. What are you following there? Yeah, that's right. So China actually has recorded far fewer daily cases. Just let me just check 143 new cases in a day. So that if you compare to the thousands that were being recorded daily just a couple of weeks ago, that is uh, good news. South Korea as well saying the same. The majority of cases are still focused on Hubei province. That's where Wuhan is, that city where this virus seems to have emanated 80 percent of cases there. So they're recording less of a spread as well. That is good news. But the issue is, I think, anyway, for European countries and for the United States, is that China have uh, all sorts of ways of controlling the population that perhaps in Europe and in the United States they don't have. They can employ these slightly more draconian methods, forcibly removing people from their homes, forced quarantine. You're unlikely to see that in places like Europe and the United States. Europe is one of the most connected, possibly the most connected continent on Earth. People travel around, move uh, all the time. Millions travel daily. I mean, freedom of movement basically underpins the whole reason Europe exists. So whatever has worked in China, because I don't think it's fair to say this virus is tapering off. It's just that they've managed to restrict people so heavily. That is why we're seeing fewer cases recorded. If indeed we can believe all the numbers that they give us, I think it's important to say we can take the numbers with a pinch of salt. But over here in Europe and in the United States, it's not as easy for authorities to use the same sorts of methods. So even though it's tapering off there, um, it doesn't necessarily follow that it'll taper off here, but we can only hope that it does. Certainly. ABC's James Longman with us from his post in London. And we're joined now from Lenox Hill Hospital here in New York by Dr. David Bookvar. Uh, Doc, I wanted to ask you about that point that James was just telling us about, this containment idea, because you've called on the Surgeon General of the United States 
to do more? What do you want to see happen? Well, I, I agree with that uh, approach that the draconian measures that are in China are not necessarily applicable to what we can do in the United States. And I think it would be prudent to take a step back here and even have the uh, you know Surgeon General or the Vice President declare even as early as next week a coronavirus containment week where we essentially shut down or slow down the entire country to recognize the importance that we have a couple of days to a couple of weeks to prevent the dissemination of this of this virus. And Wall Street will have to use remote trading desks and schools will have to use remote learning or take a week of spring break. And it will allow us um, in the hospital to uh, get enough testing kits, to uh, get enough N95 masks. And, you know, we can't be as draconian as the Chinese government, but we're going to have to do things in the very short term to shut things down. And that's going to that's going to be painful for March Madness sports and large gatherings and events. But it's going to pay dividends when this relatively tame virus for most of us will not infect our vulnerable populations of elderly and those with uh, pre-existing conditions. So I'm in favor, and I think the markets uh, in New York here will respond very favorably if the country comes together, understands this, and says, you know what, next week or the week after, we're going to have a coronavirus containment week. There are incentives that the government can do to, to cushion some of the economic blows that can in- include increasing paid leave or giving payroll taxes so the, gov- uh, the corporations don't feel such a hit. I know Wall Street will then respond favorably. And as our healthcare systems are better prepared with better testing, we'll be ready to open our doors again a week from Monday. Um, and I think we'll be in a much better position from a, a viral dissemination as well. Now, you realize, Doc, how alarming that sounds to, to people. But in your view, the virus is is that serious that it requires a whole basically week off for the country? Yep. And I don't think uh, let me just preface. I think the virus is actually not uh, nearly as dangerous, if you will, as, as influenza or uh, other pathogens that we've dealt with in previous pandemics. And again, fear and panic is, is worse now than the virus itself. But what we don't know is how communicable the virus is. We do know that people are going walking around un, untested, and um, that's going to be a problem if this virus takes hold in large numbers. And if those vulnerable populations of elderly and those with pre-existing conditions start hitting our healthcare systems, it's going to completely saturate our ability to help people who need other types of, of medical issues. So we can follow China, Japan, Italy, and show that you have to have um, social isolation in order to improve the 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 um, you know stop the transmission of this virus to some extent. And so I think we have to organize this in a way that is unified. Right now, we're tracking person by person. I mean, every day we're getting a new report that, you know, today Pennsylvania has two people and yesterday tennis. You know, I think there needs to be less effort on tracking one individual at a time and there are 50 contacts in a day than saying, you know what, let's practice uh, some prudent, unified approaches uh, to uh, modified social isolation. Let's get control of this. Let's organize as a country and um, and stop this in its tracks. We're speaking with Dr. David Bookvar from Lenox Hill Hospital here in New York City as we continue our conversation about COVID-19 and the toll that it is taking on uh, economic activity, on communities, but most of all, 
on ordinary people. Uh, and, and, Doc, as you call for this uh, containment week, I wanted to pick up on something else you said, that, that hospitals need to restock tests and supplies. Are, are hospitals not properly equipped at this stage? Oh, we don't have tests um, yet, and um, there there are many states in the United States that have no testing. Now, the good news is we're very close, and in fact, in our healthcare system here in New York at Northwell Health, we have the largest healthcare system in New York. We are about, uh, I would say, about a week away from providing tests, and and several um, private companies are now entering the field. But as Governor Cuomo said here in New York just a couple minutes ago, they've only done dozens of tests on people. And there are 33 positives here in in the state of New York. Um, When we start widespread testing, the numbers are going to go dramatically up. And everyone is measuring success by the numbers that are contained. And we have to be honest with testing all these people. And and, and to track one individual at a time and then look at contacts, you're developing a lot of hysteria. And you're quarantining people. We have a, a local doctor here in New York who was just tested positive. And that family is now under quarantine for 14 days with, with um, you know, children at home. There's stigmatism attached to it. Um, and it really, that one person is, in, in our opinion, or at least in my opinion, uh, it, it needs to be a, a more global approach uh, to shutting down what we know is the American way um, of traveling at will, of going to sporting events at will, of going to you know concerts at will, and I think the month of March is going to determine how we as Americans decide to curtail some of these activities for the common good. You know, I, I wonder if people would be more receptive if this were something like Ebola, where it it, it seemed on its face anyway, and and again we don't know a lot about coronavirus yet, but to be far more uh, serious, contractable. People look at this and, and hear comparisons to a cold or the flu and say, I don't know, shutting down the American way of life for a week for this? Yeah, and I think that's a good point. You know, if you had an image of a Ebola victim with blood coming out of their eyes or something grotesque, uh, you know, everyone would say, let's do this or else. Um, but it's going to take, a, you know, several people losing a grandparent or a friend who's got lupus or otherwise well people uh, to understand that this is a difficult process and there are vulnerable populations that uh, although that can die from the common cold from pneumonia. So we we lose 16,000, approximately 16,000 people to influenza uh, each year. And now we have a virus that doesn't have the possibility of what we call herd immunity, where you can vaccinate a large amount of people. And so we're going to lose patients this year that we should not have lost. And that's going to be family members and grandparents and otherwise well people and healthcare workers. And ultimately, that's a burden on the American people. All right. So that may be the, the wish list uh, approach. Can you talk about the approach that public health officials and I suppose politicians who are doing most of the talking about this around the country, um, can you uh, gauge their uh, effect so far and, and how they're doing? Well, first of all, we're at the tip of the iceberg, right? I mean, we, as healthcare providers, um, we're, and these are, this is the information that's coming to us is we're to tell people who feel like they have cold symptoms, first and foremost, stay at home. Stay at home if you have cough, fever, feeling sick, sneeze into your sleeve, uh, 
use good hand hygiene. Don't touch your face, but stay at home. If those symptoms persist, please visit either an urgent care center or go to a local primary care physician. Do not come to our emergency room. Please do not. This is what the message we're being told. Please do not come to the emergency room. So the, the message that is getting out right now is one that we're just not ready to test for, for this virus in, in healthcare systems across the country. Now, we're slowly improving the capabilities. We hope in New York State, for example, to go, to, to go up to 500 tests per day. Um, and we'll be ready. I do believe we need some time. And in order to prevent this in the next seven or 10 days, um, we would benefit from a slowdown of the dissemination. And, and I'm sure, as, as you know, um, and as Americans, we pride ourselves on being able to jump on the train and go down to the, you know, a, another city or fly in an airplane. And we don't think about that person sitting next to us that may have uh, rheumatoid arthritis or, and be on uh, some immunosuppressant. So, you know, I think we're at an inflection point where leadership really must look at the country as a whole and stop following people by people and, and a new case here and a new case there. Obviously, there's importance to tracking, but Wall Street, the government, the economy, everyone needs some leadership here. And without instituting draconian approaches that we see in China, we need to institute American approaches that coordinate the effort and buy some time for the American healthcare system to get ready. And then we can hold off. And I think by six weeks from now, by summertime, we'll start plateauing, seeing these cases uh, uh, diminish, and we'll have gotten through it. And whether it comes back in the fall with the colder air, uh, we'll see. But um, I think it's very, very important that we, we organize as a country. Dr. David Bookvar of Lenox Hill Hospital here in New York. Uh, Doc, thanks very much for the perspective. Appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Dr. David Bookvar at Lenox Hill Hospital in New York calling for the Surgeon General to announce a coronavirus containment week whereby effectively the American way of life would shut down or cease for a week, he says, so that the virus uh, could perhaps be controlled, let hospitals restock, let hospitals and doctors get testing kits, uh, and then they would be more prepared to deal with coronavirus as it continues its upward climb in the United States. Today, President Trump signed an $8.3 billion measure to help tackle the coronavirus outbreak. Uh, it has so far killed more than a dozen people in the United States and infected more than 200. This legislation provides federal public health agencies with money for vaccines and tests and potential treatments. It helps state and local governments prepare and respond to the threat. The rapid spread of the virus, of course, has rocked financial markets. We're looking at the Dow down at the moment as we speak, another 400-plus points. It has certainly interrupted travel, and we've learned that Lufthansa, uh, another airline uh, that's been affected by this, is going to curtail its travel by 50% because of coronavirus. The president had planned to sign the bill at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta. There were some concerns raised about a person who may have been infected who worked at the CDC, but that person has since tested negative for the virus, and the CDC was re-added to the president's schedule for later on Friday. I'm Aaron Katursky. You've been listening to an ABC News special. ABC News. Honored. 
winner of four Edward R. Murrow Awards. ABC News, America's number one news choice. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.